Live, this is the Camp Thigh Cafe on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. Albuquerque, New Mexico, is our good friend, Miss Bobby Bell. Good morning, Bobby. Good morning, Gary. So when you look out your window, what do you see? I'm seeing bright sunshine, but deceptively cool temperatures today. So I think when I got up this morning, it was about 19. But no snow. 
No snow. Uh-huh. Not like not like our friends in Tennessee and Texas. How is it in Albuquerque? You know, it's embarrassingly beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll take that, won't we? We will take that all day long, yes. <laughs> we will take that. We will take that. Well, I know a lot of a lot of the country with this horrible snow and cold and ice in uh, in Nashville and the surrounding area, they're dealing with a lot of ice and then snow on top of that. So for all of our friends out there and those folks around the world, we hope you're having a good Thursday and that you're staying warm and safe. But we've got a great show today on the Campfire Cafe. Who's joining us? You know, we finally have R.J. Vandegrift joining us, and he's been on our bucket list a long time, and he'll be with us in just a couple moments on Campfire Cafe. And we have a special guest on Saddle Up America. Who have we got? We do have. So we're going to be visiting with Ashley Avis. She is the director of the movie Black Beauty that just came out in November on Plus. So we're going to be talking about that movie and some other things that she's in 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 the horse world and that's coming up on saddle up america in just about an hour right now let's take a look to a great song from mr rj vandegriff it's one called cowboy to the bone and when we come back we'll be talking with rj today on the campfire cafe <laughs> Before he learned to walk He could swear like a pacero Before he knew how to talk When he steps up in the stirrup He gets the urge to roam He's a son of the Lone Star He's cowboy to the bone Cowboy to the bone He can string them strays together Head them up and move them out in all kinds of weather, that's what he's all about. He can take them up and down the trail and back where they belong. Get along, you little doggies. He's cowboy to the bone. Cowboy to the bone. He can ride a bull in Cheyenne and then drive all night long. He can be there before breakfast and still. And still bring it home He can jump 
the Lone Star. He's cowboy to the bone. Welcome back to Campfire Cafe on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. We just heard Cowboy to the Bone, performed by today's featured guest, R.J. Vandegrift. R.J., known as R.J. to his friends, is an award-winning singer-songwriter, playwright, and actor, not to mention a pretty darn good cowboy. At home on stage, in front of a camera, or on horseback in the big pasture, R.J. grew up riding horses and strumming an old guitar, competed in saddle bronc and bareback, as well as working as a rodeo clown and bullfighter. Whether he's performing as a solo artist or starring in the highly acclaimed musical The Cowboy Ain't Dead Yet, R.J. has the God-given talent to walk on a stage in front of any audience and connect with them. He is one of those performers who creates a moment when he steps to the microphone, a moment remembered by all. The Dallas Morning News has this to say about R.J. Robert Joe Vandegrift is one part Jane Autry one part Will Rogers, and one part Zig Ziglar. (laughs) Making his first appearance with us today, a cowboy who has been known to say, I reckon I'm one of the luckiest men that ever lived. Please welcome to Campfire Cafe, R.J. Vandegrift. Welcome, R.J. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be with y'all. How to do, Mr. R.J.? Hello, Mr. Holt. How are you? I'm doing I'll do well. I'll do well. I'm staying warm. But now, how are you in Texas? That's a better question. We're having a warming trend. We're up to 19 degrees. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so from a minus 8 or minus 13 was our lowest, but uh, to up 19, it feels like a heat wave. It really does. But the good news is it's supposed to warm up uh, tomorrow and Saturday and Sunday even more. So we've uh, it's been tough, but... We've we've managed to get through it and been very fortunate. We didn't know in the panhandle here where I am, we didn't lose any electricity or water. So, oh, that's great. We we've been very blessed. I've got a lot of friends in uh, South and East Texas and down in Central Texas. They've had a really really difficult time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Know, yeah. Well, well goes our thoughts and prayers are with all those folks down there. You know, it's it's so tough. And, uh, it is, and a lot of people have died from it, and uh, it's just been a terrible, sad situation. It's it's the worst cold in the Panhandle since the 1890s, and I think probably mm-hmm. across the state. But, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and the rolling blackouts that they've had have been tough. But yeah, uh, yeah. hey, we've got a great show today, so we're gonna we're gonna warm things up just a little bit when we get more into some of the music that you've got. And um, and this is a whole fun. I've had so much fun listening to the music and picking things out for the show today. But um, my wife said to ask you real quickly about Lipscomb, Texas. So what is the population of Lipscomb? Well, Lipscomb, Texas, in the northeast corner of the Texas Panhandle, uh, population 27 people. Nearest grocery store is 25 <laughs> miles. Nearest Walmart 75 miles. And some people say that's an inconvenience, and we think it's a blessing. <laughs> uh, it's a wonderful little town, a lot of good folks. We, we've got a post office and a, and a uh, courthouse, and we have a bar that's not really a bar, but 
privately owned building that used to be an old saloon. And uh, when we worked cattle up in town for Lance Bazaar, well, he fixes dinner for everybody there, and uh, that's that's pretty much lips. Now we do have a wonderful museum. I will say that if you're ever coming through here, it's yeah. worth the walk through. Uh, right. You know, my wife's great uncle was Doc Barton, who carried the first herd to Dodge City in 1872. Oh, wow. And uh, there were seven of those brothers, and four of them actually ended up settling here in Lipscomb County, and we live on one of the ranches. Okay. That was founded by Alex Barton. But, yeah, uh, there's a plaque in Dodge City says, Doc Barton, the first Texas cattleman to arrive and the last one to leave, he eventually settled there and became wow. a justice of peace. So, um, wow. Wow. our ties here go back a long way, but as many do. Uh, yeah. You know, a lot of yeah. these ranches up here were founded back in the 1870s, 1980s. <clears throat> Fortunately, a, a vast majority of them stayed in the family. Yeah. So, is that home for you? It is not. I was raised in northeast Texas, a little town called Roxton, Texas. Okay. Uh, um, Dwayne Allen of Oak Ridge Boys is from Cunningham, Metro County. Gene Watson is from that area, Post Oak, Texas. So uh, it was black man farm country when I was growing up. Yeah, but all kinds uh, of talent came out of there. You know, there really was. Uh, There really was. It's it's. uh, But my wife and I met, and she always wanted to move back here to the ranch. And you know, in my business, uh, as long as I've got an airport or a highway nearby well i can get to where i need to go so we moved back out here about 17 years ago and built a home on one of the sections here in the ranch been here ever since wow that's absolutely great that is great well i I was curious about whether you were from there or whether you just had been there by some good-looking lady and my my wife by the way told me uh a little earlier this morning she said R.J.'s wife is one of the prettiest ladies that you'll ever see. I, well, thank I, I you. That on to you. I guess you already knew that, though, didn't you? Well, I had a pretty good idea of that. You know. <laughs> a lot of people thought I moved down here because of the witness protection program, but that's not true. <laughs> uh, gosh, well, there's a better reason that you moved, I think. Hey, I want to get to another song real quickly. It's called Way of the Cowboy, and when we come we may talk a little bit about the Cowboy Ain't Dead yet when we return okay. today on the Campfire Cafe with our very special guest, Mr. R.J. Vandegrift. We rode the river and we rode together, lived through the black powder rain. Climbed up on some tough ones, shared camp with some rough ones as we trail cows to the train. And we are the heirs to the real Spanish treasure, the horses and cattle with horns. We faced down the devil and opened God's country back when the legends were born. We followed the Gun. From the hands of the 
fathers to the sons and the daughters the gift of life we enjoy. We ride through the valley, we ride through the shadow, the way of the cowboy. I didn't mean to hurt her feelings, but I felt like I had to be honest with her. 
And I was in Branson, Missouri, doing the show up there. And I was sitting there thinking one day, and I thought, why not? You know, if you don't open that door, you're never going to get to walk through it. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it had been seven years. And uh, so I picked up the phone and called her. And uh, said, what are you doing? She said, well, I've been waiting on you for five years. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> what a great story. That's a love so, story. <laughs> uh, uh, we later on went out and had dinner. I, she was in Dallas. And, of course, I was in Branson. But we met in Oklahoma and had dinner and kind of rekindled things and just went from there. There wow. you go. There you go. And um, I also read that you uh, you were on Texas uh, Walker Texas Ranger uh, TV show for quite a I bit. Was. Yeah, I, I did, had that. Uh, well, I promised my wife that I was married to that I lost. Uh, when we married, I didn't have two nickels to rub together. I told her music business was tough, but if she'd stick with me, then someday I'd get off the road and buy any home that she wanted. And that it happened, and uh, it was January 19th, I think 1990, she picked me up at the airport, and I'd done six weeks in Europe, it had been a tough tour, I was 43 or 44 years old, so the odds of me ever getting another major record deal was pretty slim at that age, you know? Right. And I told her, I said, that's it, she said, what are you going to do? And I said, I have no idea. Um, so I went to work on the ranch outside of Sherman, Texas, for $5 an hour. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> of course, we were still playing on the weekends and things like that, you know. But uh, my agent called me and said they're doing a, um, a ranger show in Dallas, and they're looking for some cowboy types. Do you want me to send them your picture? And I said, sure. So he did in about two weeks. Foreman came down and bought him and got me. He said, there's some casting director want to talk to you? <laughs> uh, first thing she asked me, she said, do you look like your pitcher? And I didn't really understand that at the time, but I do now that I've been in the business some because people tend to send pictures they had made 20 years ago. But anyhow, right. I went down there and went down there as an extra and said, uh, well, he looks like a ranger. They made me a Texas Ranger. said, don't look at the camera. Keep your mouth shut. Do what you're told, and don't talk to the star. I said, I can do that. <laughs> well, during that episode, the next episode, they uh, needed a band. So someone had told the casting director, said, well, that guy's got a band. So she came over and said, I'm saying you have a band. Are you any good? I said, I don't know. You know, I've had two top ten records, an album with number three, toured with George Strait. Alabama and Garth Brooks or done shows with them. Yeah. Merle Haggard, but I don't know if we're any good. Well, it didn't make any difference because <laughs> they were playing tape music. Oh, so we filmed it at the White Elephant. And when we <laughs> got there and set up, they had recorded the song in the wrong key. And oh. the girls having difficulty doing it. So we just had to act like we were playing. And my band is mad at me because they put us in Hollywood, Western cowboy outfit, right. double-knit shirts right. with white fringe hanging. My band's like, how much are we getting paid for this? Because we look like idiots. <laughs> <laughs> but anyhow, to make a long story short, uh, 
I told the director, I said, well, let us play it. And he said, I don't have time for rehearsals. I said, we can play it. It's just a three-chord song. So he said, we do what you need to do. So we hooked up. We played the song. When we got through, he came by and said, I owe you. Well, I didn't think anything more about it because they were paying us quite well for that deal. About two days later, we're doing a drug raid. And he looks at me and says, what's your name again? And I said, RJ. He said, I want you to holler halt. I said, what? I can't do that. I said, what do you mean you can't do that? I said, well, he told me to keep my mouth shut. He said, I'm the director. You do what I tell you. Now, holler halt. <laughs> so I did. And then the, uh, some guy walks by me and says, well, you just made $579. I said, what? I said, that's a speaking role. You got sag. <laughs> so it just kind of multiplied from there. We're, You know, just things started happening. We were doing a cutting horse scene one day, and this old horse was cheating Chuck. And I told his son, I said, uh, if you put some left spur in that horse, that horse come across the pen. He said, well, go tell him. Well, dummy, I went and told him. Well, so you know a little something about horses? I said, a little bit. Well, a couple of weeks later, I get a paycheck. We'd done this flashback thing, an old West flashback deal a couple of weeks later, and I get my check, and it's like $1,500. And I'm going, what? <laughs> so I, I went to the business office, and I said, they've made a mistake here. I said, no, you were a... Equine advisors, what they called it. I said, you oh, what? Do more of that. Do more uh, of that. Wow. Yeah. So anyhow, I involved, and I got to doing some stunts. And I took some stunt driving lessons, and that's when I started taking some acting lessons, really, because I'd never done any acting. And uh, we were doing a scene one day, and this new director said, well, I need to kill a ranger, and they pointed at me. Let's kill this guy. So the assistant <laughs> director said, stepped up and said, we can't kill R.J. He's our utility ranger. And I said, I am. <laughs> so it just kind of evolved from there. And, oh, wow. You know, it was just a small, small thing. But uh, it was a lot of wonderful experience and got to meet a lot of wonderful people. And uh, and I ended up getting some major commercials, not from that, but from the acting lessons that I had taken. I did one for Chrysler and did one for uh, Toyota, Chunky Cheese. So... Uh, it turned into some pretty good deals. So. Uh, that's great. Wow. That is fantastic. And that's really how I got into the, uh, writing the play. I thought, you know, somebody needs to do a cowboy show. So that's kind of how it all evolved. Wow. 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 How long have you done that um, Cowboy Ain't Dead yet? Gary, I, Gary, I think I wrote it in 90. One or ninety-two, and a friend of mine was the director at a little theater there in Sherman that seated like three hundred and twenty-five people, and I'd known him for years. Well, I'd never done any stage acting, you know, one high school play or something like that. So I called him and told him about the show. He said, "Well, let's try it here." And of course, I was well known in that northeast. Texas area because of the country music career and things like that. Right. And so uh, he said, we'll do a, a Saturday night and a Sunday afternoon. But we've got to rehearse and I've got to see the script. Well, I'd never written it down. Uh -oh. I'd done it at, I had a dinner club. I had done it at my dinner club. 
now I'm going to have a script. <laughs> so I, I typed it all out, took it to him, and we did rehearsals for three weeks, and he actually helped develop the show as far as blocking it off and being here, and this is what you need to do. It was just a, Ron Casty was named, just a wonderful experience. But when he advertised it, it sold out the first two shows, like the first day. Wow. So he called me and he said, let's add three more performances. And I said, well, okay. <laughs> so two days later, those three are sold out. So he called me and he said, well, let's add one more weekend because I don't know who these people are, but they don't know where we are because they haven't asked directions how to get to the theater, so it's not my people. <laughs> so we added two more. Then he calls me and says, uh, hey, it's sold out. Can we add three more? Oh, wow. So anyhow, we ended up doing 12 performances, all of them sold out. The theater had been there 27 years. We set a new box office record. And in the meantime, I invited a couple of my acting coach, who was also a director, Bill Roden, and Glenn Vest, who was on Walker, Texas Ranger with me, and a couple of other people, to kind of come up and critique the show for me. Right, right. And make their suggestions. And, and they did. And so that's how it just all came together. And uh, I just started hitting the theaters. The problem was, back in that day, when you called theaters, most of them, when you said cowboy, they're thinking urban cowboy. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. yeah. You know, we had, to, we had to get over that hump. But as we got into theaters and started getting some reviews, then it helped with other theaters. You know, they were good enough to call friends at other theaters and say, hey, this is a good one-man show. And I actually had written a show for like eight people's script, but Ron suggested that I keep it as a one-man show. So all the costume changers are on stage. And basically the show is Joe Texas, here's a room, the cowboy's dead, but uh, he comes to town, well, he's not dead, you just can't see us from the road. And he starts out an 1860s character, carries you through the early trail drives, through the early ranching up to modern times, and he tells the story of the cowboy through song, poem, and dialogue. And not the Hollywood version, but the real version. Right, right, right. And all the costume changes are from from the early trail drives. They're on stage as he's talking, you know. And uh, it just, it just kind of clicked. And then some people from Mo Bandy's theater uh, had seen the show, and so they came down and talked to me about coming to Branson. So we went to Branson with it for three years, and I thought, well, this is a good test for it, you know. Right. Uh, if we do it in Branson, because it's such a wide spectrum of the country that comes there. Right. So uh, a lot of the critics said a cowboy show won't work, a one-man show won't work. And if it does work, it'll be three years before we make any money. Well, we made money all three years we were there, so. Mm -hmm. When it came time to renew the contract, uh, I was ready to come back to Texas. Uh, I'm just, I'm a diehard Texan. It's my home, and I love it. And, and they were calling me crazy because <laughs> we had a show that was doing well. And, um, but, and so, well, you got to follow your heart. Yeah, yeah, you got to follow yeah. your heart. But uh, how about you get some more music when you get shot? This is, a, this is a great song that you've done. It's not quite a song like the first two were, but it's a great song called say lady and when we come back i think i'll talk a little bit about your time in nashville so okay we're talking today rj vandegriff on the campfire cafe <laughs> 
and it went like number one in a regional market down there, like four state area. And, and uh, you know, I'd always I dreamed of going to Nashville, but that's a big step because you know. And I finally just made my mind up to do it and packed up. At that time, I was uh, owned a finance company. I'd been in the finance business for several years and pretty successful. And I thought, I'm not getting any younger. If I'm going to do it, I might as well do it. And had a band. We were playing, you know, three or four nights a week. And then I had the finance company. And, um, you know, living a pretty good life. But yeah, if, if you don't go out there and chase that dream, you're going to wonder all your life if you should have. Yeah, and could so you have done I it? Sold the finance company and and liquidated all my stuff in Texas and went to Nashville in a nineteen seventy six van and two hundred and fifty dollars. Oh wow. And, uh, wow. You you remember Jerry Chestnut? Yeah. The songwriter. First guy I ran into at the Hall of Fame bar and hotel there. Okay. He looked at me and said, New in town? I said, Is it out that obvious? <laughs> said, yeah, where are you from? I said, Texas. And he said, what are you doing in Nashville? I said, well, I came, I hope, I hope I can write songs. He said, well, good luck. Let me buy you a beer. So <laughs> he said, you can make more money in Texas than you ever will in Nashville. But uh, I'd been there about 10 days. And Willie Nelson, who put one of my songs on hold. All right. Uh, Don Williams had put one on hold. And George Jones had put one on hold. That's thinking, pretty deep water right there. There ain't nothing to this. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> deep water. Well, Willie's people called, and he wanted to cut the song, but they wanted the publishing, and I wouldn't give it to them. Mm-hmm. So a couple of weeks rolled by, and I never heard from them again. And I'm talking to Jerry Chestnut again in, in the same bar. Yeah. I spent a lot of time in bars in those days, as you know. <laughs> and uh, so I was telling him about it. He looked at me like, you dummy. So which would you rather have, son, 100% of nothing or 50% something? Right. Well, that right. was a lesson well learned. But uh, to make a long story short, none of the songs got cut. But I landed a job at Joe Taylor Artist Agency as a booking okay. agent. Because I had a lot of contacts in Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, Arkansas. And I had about 25 clubs and venues that... Uh, I booked all their talent. Okay. So um, we had the Wilburn Brothers. We had uh, Hank Snow, a bunch of the older uh, Opry acts. Yeah, yeah. But but he signed John Anderson just as John's career was starting out. So that was like a shot in the arm. Uh, I'd been there about four weeks. I was taking karate at Jim Ed Brown's house from Rick Pendergrass from Brentwood there, and uh, also assistant teaching. And uh, was doing some bodyguard work because I had a black belt in karate and uh, just whatever I could do to make a dollar. But I was basically living in this van, and uh, I loaned it to a so-called friend, and he stole my van and everything I owned one night after karate class. So I, I got a karate gi and shoes and that's all I had and uh, Lonnie Howe from Level End, Texas was a songwriter there he took me in and let me sleep on his floor in his living room 
Archie Campbell. Yeah. Loan me a, a Volkswagen convertible to drive till I could get some money together to buy another vehicle. So I'd go into the office at Joe Taylor's Monday morning at 8 o'clock, and I'd just stay there all week to sleep on the couch. Because, you know, oh, booking clubs, best time to catch club owners at 1 or 2 in the morning. Yeah. So we went to pumping the phones and booking John Anderson and uh, just any and everybody we could book. I, I booked a lot of acts that ne- weren't necessarily with our agency, but we would do a buy-sell you know, like people like the Judds or George right. Jones, we'd buy them and resell them to the club, you know, and make a few hundred bucks off that. So I did that, and then before I'd left, I had met Priscilla, the wife that I lost. and So we had a long-distance relationship for three years, and um, finally just got to the point that, well, it's time to come back to Texas. Because I was flying back to Texas nearly every weekend, to perform oh, Texas or Oklahoma, Louisiana, whatever. And uh, George Hamilton IV hooked me up in Europe with Lee Williams, an, an agent, booking agent over there. So I started going over there, and Kit Carson, who wrote Big Blue Diamond, was doing a project in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And they hired me to, to sing, to do, do the vocals on it at Reflection Studio. It was the first time the old Nashville A team had been back together since the 60s. And we had Buddy Spiker and the Jardinaires and Harold Rugg and Pig Robbins. Harold Bradley produced the session. Wow. And we got signed with uh, Boot Records, which was on a, a Canadian label. And most of their market was Canada and Europe. But anyhow, it, it just kind of blossomed from there. I like to say we went to the wedding, but we never got to kiss the bride. <laughs> <laughs> but we changed her oh, around the room. But you came close, didn't Yeah, you came, came close. close. Yes, but you did. Europe was really good for us. We, you know, we were playing the bigger festivals over there. Uh, Boxcar Willie had been a friend of mine from Texas, so he was a big help over there. And so, as was George Hamilton IV. Yeah. So we did eight tours over there, sold out all eight tours. And, you know, we'd go over for six weeks, two months, sometimes two and a half months. And still playing the states, and there was a couple of promoters that really liked us uh, out of the Texas area. So they were buying George Strait and Garth Brooks and all these big name acts, and uh, so they hired us to do those shows. So we, you know, we got to play the bigger fairs and got to play the, you know, eight and ten thousand seat arenas. Right. Uh, not only we do a, did the country show, we also did a 50 show called Blind Cat Willie in the class of 59. And uh, we'd come out in the 50s costume and do a, a 50 set. So we were just trying to keep gas in the tank and wheels on the road. So. <laughs> well, it sounds like you were doing it. It sounds like you well, were doing it. Well, you know, it. We, we were doing 250, 260 days a year on the road. That's After enough. coming back from Nashville. That's enough. It wasn't bad. Yeah. That wasn't bad. Hey, let's do a song. Let's do a song. And this is one that Josh Turner made pos- pos- popular. I'll get that out in yeah. a minute. Josh yeah. Josh made this one popular. Long Black, Black Train, you do a great job with that. And uh, let's you. take a listen and then come back and talk more with Mr. J. Van okay. Griff today. <laughs> 
land Feeding off the souls that are lost in crime Rails of sin, only evil remains Watch out, brother, for the long black train Look to the heavens, you can look to the sky You can find redemption staring back in your eyes There is protection and there's peace the same Burning your ticket for that long black train Cause there's victory in the Lord I say Making you wonder if your ride is worth the pain He's just waiting on your heart to say Let me ride on that long black train You know there's victory in the Lord I say Victory in the Lord Oh cling to the Father in His holy name And don't go riding on that long Texas, 
few years ago, and I'd made an announcement that I wasn't recording anymore. And after the show, she came up and said, what about your gospel album? I said, I have no plans to do a gospel album. She said, yes, you do. <laughs> and to know her, she she's not one to take no for an answer. I said, you know, I, I have no plans. She said, well, those plans just changed. You're going to do a gospel album. <laughs> and uh, I ended up doing a gospel album. <laughs> so... so she obviously inspired you. Are are these all songs? I mean, you do call it her favorite. So um, did you collaborate on choosing this playlist, or did she just kind of say, and this is what's going to be on it, RJ? <laughs> well, we, we collaborated. Yeah, we we collaborated. You know, I, I said, just send me a list of your favorite songs, and she did. And, and uh, uh, I said, well, let me go through the, that list and just kind of check my favorites and see what you think. So I did, um, and that's how it came about. Uh, and it, I really enjoyed doing it. I, I, I'd always wanted to do a gospel album, but really didn't have a market for that. And and what we've actually done with the album, the proceeds of the album, um, you know, we tried to give back wherever we could with it, uh, youth groups or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also see that it was engineered and mastered by Aram. I'm never sure how Letter. to say their last name. And I was at their wedding. <laughs> yes, you are. I remember that. I remember seeing the pictures. Yeah, Aram's yeah. a great, great, great young man. And of course, we we adore Kristen and Rich O'Brien uh, has been a dear friend for a lot of years. So. We'd done most of our recording in Nashville with Ronnie Light, um, who's uh, been a dear friend for 40 years now, 45 years. Um, and uh, but I, it's just much easier to record in Texas if you can. And Rich put together some great players, and I was really pleased with the way things came out. Of course. Mm-hmm. You know, Rich is legendary, and Aram's a great mm-hmm. engineer, and uh, it's just a nice environment to record down there. Mm-hmm. Um, Gary, do you want to do another song? From I think this we're gonna. Interview? I think we're gonna go and do auctioneer right quick, at, and oh, doggone it, okay. we're running out of time. <laughs> I mean, RJ just too much fun to talk with, and the stories that he tells are awesome, and I think we may have to get together outside of the radio show sometime and talk about some of those bar stories. I don't know. I, I <laughs> hope you got your high-top boots on today. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into it deeply. But anyway, here's another yeah. great song we want to get to right quick. It's one called Auctioneer, and this one is a great song by Mr. R.J. Vandergriff. We'll be back in just a moment. Hey, Laura, I'm trying to get some little about walking boy. Like 29 coming to get, now what are you going to give for? There was a boy from Arkansas who would not listen to his mom when she told him that he should go to school. He'd sneak away in the afternoon, take a little walk, and pretty soon you'd find him at that local auction barn. Then he'd stand and listen carefully, and pretty soon he began to see how the auction nigga talked so rapidly. I've got to learn that auction cry Gotta make my mark and be an auctioneer 
portion of the show with another great song from R.J. Vandegrift. It's one called Chase and Rainbows. And thanks again a lot. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate it. I've spent a lifetime chasing rainbows Dreaming dreams that don't come true All I ever found was fool's gold And lonely nights without you I once dreamed of the rodeo Big time money in that Vegas show Riding Bronx that never rode Winning buckles of silver and gold Party girls and city lights Took a toll on this cowboy's life I decided it was time to go Time to chase another rainbow Music City was a-calling me I had a suitcase full of songs to sing We'd buy a bus and I'd hire a band Cross this country doing one-night stand But Music Road didn't see it like that They never cared for my cowboy hat they didn't take to my Texas twang I went to dreaming another dream I've spent a lifetime chasing rainbows Dreaming dreams that don't come true All I ever found was fool's gold And lonely nights without you California was a place to be I'd sing my songs on the old TV We'd buy a mansion up in Beverly Hills Have fancy cars and all the frills But the suits in the penthouse suites Didn't see things the same as me They said the West was dead and gone It was time to be moving on I've spent a lifetime chasing rainbows Dreaming dreams that don't come true And all I ever found was fool's gold And lonely nights without you Now I'm through chasing rainbows
half of South Up America on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. And when we come back, we're going to be talking with Director Ashley Avis on Saddle Up America today on Equestrian Legacy Radio. It sings to me in the night with a voice sweet and forlorn. It's been pushing at my back since the day that I was born. Saying, come and take a ride with me. We're going someplace your heart's never been. Gonna blow right out of here like the dust on that wild west Texas wind. Well, I tried to shut the windows tight. Your heart's never been Gonna blow right out of here 
Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. We just heard Wild West Texas Wind by Carolyn Martin. We are so delighted to have with us a very special guest today. Ashley Avis is an American director, screenwriter, and producer of four feature films and over 100 commercials and branded content spots to date. She recently wrote, directed, and edited the modern-day adaptation of Anna Sewell's classic Black Beauty, starring Kate Winslet, Mackenzie Foy, and Ian Glenn in 2019 for Constantine Film, which debuted on Disney Plus on November 27th of 2020. She is currently writing a television series based on the iconic Briar toy brand for Ron Howard, Brian Grazer, and Stephanie Sperber of Imagine Entertainment. We are so delighted to welcome this amazing woman, Ashley Avis. Thank you for joining us today, Ashley. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, Ashley. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. Doing good. So glad you could make it. So we have talked to everybody that's been on the show today about their weather. And it's been <laughs> cold and freezing out in Texas and kind of pleasant but cool in Albuquerque where Bobby is. And uh, if you're in Tennessee, it's like Iceland. But you're in L.A. <laughs> what kind of weather <laughs> Well, I'm looking out my window right now, and it's, it's pretty beautiful. But just a few weeks ago, I was in New Jersey with uh, with some family, and it was very, I mean, goodness, the storm that we got was it was beautiful, oh. but we were we were snowed in for days. Oh wow! Well, at least you had <laughs> yeah. a little taste a little taste before you got back to L.A., where the weather is gorgeous. Yeah. Bobby lived in Santa Clarita, and she would always tell us when we got on the air, "It's just gorgeous. It's just gorgeous." <laughs> so, anyway, glad glad you have good weather where you are, and and thanks for being with us today. So I was just curious. Uh, how did Black Beauty come about? Well, I, growing up, I always wanted to be a writer. I thought that I would become a, a children's book author or I would write in the young adult space. I, I always knew that I, I wanted to write. And I, I rode horses most of my life growing up. And then things took a little bit of a turn when I was in my late teens and I ended up in school in New York City. And yeah. I, when you're living in New York, you work a number of different odd jobs. I, and I, I worked in real estate. I was a journalist. I taught ballroom dance couples how to do their wedding wow. dances. You know, anything to pay, anything wow. to pay the rent in New York, New York City. So this is the, <laughs> the longer way of saying I, you know, I, I knew I wanted to wanted to write, but I wasn't quite sure what the what the medium was going to be. And journalism wasn't quite it. But then I discovered screenplays. And so, and that felt like poetry to me. And that was the moment of, this is exactly what I want to do. So I saved up some money and I moved to Los Angeles. And I just, for about a decade, I worked really hard. I I built a small business starting with commercial work and, you know, raising a little bit of money for, for a few independent films. And then finally, because of all of that, that work and having a portfolio and a style and, you know, it takes time in, in, in any job to, to start, becoming good at what you're doing you know that doesn't happen overnight 
and, um, and, and our industry is a tough one. But finally, I had built up enough work to start taking some bigger meetings with bigger producers, and I happened to meet a wonderful producer named Jeremy Bolt. Uh, from Constantine Film, and I walked into his meeting, and it wasn't about Black Beauty. I just came in for, for in our industry, you take general meetings, you just meet meet people, and we right. sat down, and we had some we had some tea, and he said, "What inspired you to become a filmmaker?" and and I happened to mention the scene from the Black Stallion, the the, the version in the seventies yeah. with Alec and yeah. Alec and the Black. Yeah, it's one of the most beautiful scenes to me in cinema, and Coming it's down about the beach. that beautiful. Yep, exactly. And the the relationship, the unspoken relationship between a human and a horse. And Jeremy said, you know, my partner and I have wanted to make Black Beauty for ten years. We think a, a modern version is timely now. If you have a if you have a take, let me know. And I was I was very excited. So that's that was the origin of how the movie started coming about. Wow. Wow. It is it is amazing the way that things work and come together. For different things, yeah. so so how did it come about with Disney? Because that's that's pretty big. It was surreal when when we started because it, it was it, it initially wasn't it was not a Disney production. The film was acquired by Disney Plus once the streaming platform launched, and when we started getting wins that they were interested in our movie, I mean just. As a filmmaker, the validation in that, and then also the terror of what if it doesn't work out? Right. Those were two distinct extremes, but they 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 loved the film and they were really supportive of the messages, and they came aboard and acquired it, and it's it's now the the movie is all over the world. Wow, wow. Well, we haven't. I haven't seen it yet, but but all of my family and I did as of yesterday that we're going to watch that. So that is on the schedule for this weekend. Good, good. You'll have to email me and let me let me know what you think. I will do that. I will do that. Well, how was it to be working with uh, actors like Kate Winslet and Ian Glenn and Mackenzie Foy? I was it was amazing. You know, in our in our industry, it's so rare when you get your first choices with actors because there's so many factors. People are shooting other movies or they don't like the script or the money isn't right. There's, there's a litany of things that can prevent you from getting, you know, the actor you have in your mind. And we were so fortunate because that was not the case with Black Beauty. Kate, Kate Winslet, when I was writing the screenplay, I couldn't help but hear her voice. And, you know, once you get an Oscar winner in your head, you think, oh, well, this is a long <laughs> shot. But she... But the, but she read the script, and I, I spent several hours writing her a letter. I write letters to all the actors that, that we approach, and she, she loved the screenplay. And then she saw the film, and she really loved the film. And we got to, because of the state of our world right now, I ended up working with her remotely. We were yeah. in Los Angeles while she was, she was in London. But it, it, it was pretty seamless, and she just lends such a beautiful fire and elegance to the voice of beauty. And then Mackenzie Foy and Ian Glenn, I couldn't say more about them as people. They're phenomenal actors, but the movie business is hard. You're working long days. It's always very stressful. There's a lot of pressure. And we had a very tight schedule with this film, and safety was always was always such a, a you know, a first and foremost factor with the horses. And Ian right. and Mackenzie, they, they did all of their own stunts. Mackenzie actually is riding Beauty as she puts up her arms really? like she can fly. Yeah, that's not a mechanic. There, there are no with Mackenzie. There was no mechanical horse at all in the film, which is pretty extraordinary. She, she, she took lessons before she came to set. We actually shot the film primarily in South Africa, even though it's based in the U.S. And she had ridden 
and trained for the Disney movie, The Nutcracker and the Four Realms. So she had riding experience and she's always loved horses from a little, yeah. So she just, she really wanted to bond with the main horse she worked with. We had a number of different horses that played beauty, but the main horse that she works with uh, is named Jenny and they really bonded and she just wanted to, she's such an athlete. She wanted to do those stunts and Ian Glenn too. When you see the film, you'll see this beautiful scene in a round pen where, where Ian as John Manley is working with his paint and he's, and he's joining up with him. And that paint had never been worked with ever in real life in that way. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So we didn't know if it would work, but I really authentically wanted to see if we could actually get his name, his name is Archie, this little paint to join up with Ian and we filmed it and he did. And so as Ian's delivering this dialogue, as he says, my goal through this work is to help each horse find his peace. Mm-hmm. Archie is joining mm-hmm. up and it's just uh, everyone on set was cry- crying. It was beautiful. <laughs> oh gosh. So how did Ian feel about that after the, after the filming was done? He was so emotionally impacted and he's one of the you know a lot of people know him from game of thrones and he and he he plays a much different role in this movie he's just one of the loveliest people i've ever met or worked with he's so kind and he just he was very he worked very closely with our liberty trainer cody rockland harris all the Mm -hmm. horses uh, it was all liberty training in the movie and he wanted to you know if he wasn't in a fitting or a rehearsal he was he was studying or talking to Cody or he was in the round pen when you know not when we were filming but just learning and he after that scene with Archie it was so funny because Co- I became very close to Cody throughout the filming process we established this beautiful trust it was almost kind of like the relationship with, between Joe and John that I as the director had with Cody our liberty trainer <laughs> we, we we got to know each other and we found that bond and that trust and then it was just we had this beautiful relationship but when Cody saw Archie join up with Ian, I spotted him around a tree, and he was covering his face because he was crying. And oh, I, no. I, I, I tease him to this day because he was so, he said it reminded him of the first time he ever did join up with a horse, and he was just very, very touched. Wow, 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 wow. Well, Actually, it Go ahead, Bobby. I just have a since you just uh, touched a little bit on um, Cody Ross and Harris and Liberty horse trainer. Could you just share a little bit with um, what what is the form of training that Liberty? What does that mean to be a Liberty horse trainer? So it's it, the horse is literally at liberty to either respond to the command or deny you. There's no we we didn't use any ropes. No, it was it was all just Cody usually had two whips which became extensions of his hands and he would guide the horse in the way that he wanted the horse to turn her head. Or in some instances we had these very long runs where we had a point A and a point B. For example, there's a scene where beauty races this raging river to save, uh, save someone from drowning. And, you know, I, I grew up as an equestrian, but as a writer, I knew when I wrote Black Beauty that some of the scenes that I had envisioned might not be <laughs> practical. <laughs> we had a lot, a lot of conversations about that. And I always said, look, I know that. I'm not sure if we, you know, how are we going to make this work? I really didn't want to use any CG horses in the movie, and there's not one lick of CG horse in this film. Oh, that's not, great. Not one, it, it's, all, it's all real. And so one of the Liberty um, stunts, I suppose you would say, w- was when Beauty was racing the river, and Cody, I was really, it, this really sums up Cody as a trainer to me. 
through the liberty work he really bonded with and the horses loved him and would do whatever he wanted and asked of them but with that bond comes enormous responsibility especially when you're on a film set and everything is quick and you know stressful and we really tried to insulate them as best as possible as we could but with that scene at the river, Cody came up to me, and I wasn't sure if Beauty could run from point A to point B along a river. And he said, yes, we can do it. We've, we've done a rehearsal, and we built this horse-safe path. We actually had a team carve a, a, a path next to the mm -hmm. river so Beauty, we could actually see Beauty in the river in the same frame. So when we see this big drone shot, Beauty is actually running down this path. And he said, the reason we can't use the horse I liked the best for those runs was, is named Spirit. She's a thoroughbred mare off the track and just gorgeous. And just the, the, her, when, she's, when she's galloping, it's, you, you can't take her eyes off, off of her. But he said, the reason we can't use spirit is because she's going to run so fast to get to me because she loves me. I don't know if she's going to look where she's going. We're going to use a ward, uh -huh. which was another, another thoroughbred mare, who was a little bit, she, just, she wasn't quite the same confirmation as Spirit and Jenny, who are two main horses, still a beautiful horse, but just didn't match quite as well. But, but Cody said, we have to use awards because awards isn't going to go as fast as you're going to want. She's not going to gallop. She's probably going to canter, but she's going to be safe and she's not going to hurt herself. And as yeah. I always did in situations like that, it was, okay, that's the horse we're going to use. So that's yeah. just to illustrate mm -hmm. that, that, that bond. It was just a very pure form of training and the horses really, really responded so beautifully. Wow, wow. Ashley, how long did it take to film the movie? We had a total initially of six weeks, which is a very, 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 very tight shooting schedule. But I kind of, I get the bit between my teeth on a lot, a lot of things. <laughs> we had, <laughs> and luckily we have very supportive producers. So I was constantly saying, you know, going into Jeremy's office and saying, you know, <laughs> and he put his head in his hands. So, you know, we have this hair and makeup test day for Ian and Mackenzie. Ian doesn't need much. Mackenzie is natural. We have about half a day. Can we do this? And that's actually how we got the shots of Ian Glenn doing join up in the round pen, because during our shooting schedule, we wouldn't have had two and a half hours to do that. We would have had wow. 45 minutes and we, we wouldn't have had the time to allow that to organically unfold. So at yeah. the end of the day, we had, we, we shot the movie in about seven and a half weeks. Wow. Wow. Well, that seems pretty quick for me. Go ahead, Bobby. Can, yeah. I'm, I'm uh, you know, I, I, re I have not seen this uh, film yet either, Ashley, I, I admit, but I read a number of articles and interviews with you, and it's absolutely fascinating. You filmed in Cape Town, and you also did some filming um, in the American West. Do you want to touch a little bit about why those two environments, you were able to match them seamlessly, and maybe a little bit about your experience in the, with the horse herd in the American West? Sure. It was so important to me. So the reason Beauty is, is a wild horse in, in our modernization of this film, it was very purposeful. When Going back to when Jeremy and I first started talking about the movie, he said, I, we know we want to do two things. We know we want to modernize the story for, for the audiences of today, and we want Beauty to be female. Because right now there's this wonderful surge of, of trying to include women and diverse voices in, in film and television. And so I went, I went home and I really thought about it because I fell in love with the world of horses because of Black Beauty by Anna Sewell and because of The Black Stallion by Walter Farley. That was my window into 
what shaped my life until I was about 18 years old. So it was so important to me to make sure that we weren't just taking a very valuable title that everybody knows and just creating a whole new story. I really wanted to find the parallels between the original stories and messages, themes, and characters. So when uh, the biggest question I had when I was trying to figure all of that out, I was stumped initially about Beauty's origin story because, of course, in the, in the novel published in the late 1800s, Beauty is a cab horse in London, and we have cars today. So I thought, what's the parallel here? And so I went back and I started researching why Anna Sewell wrote the novel in the first place, and it was because she was crippled at a young age and she was literally carried by horses. And so she, she developed this very unique bond and understanding of them. She was a, she was a natural horsewoman in, in the early days of what that meant. And so she wrote Black Beauty as an animal welfare plea to get into the hands of, of grooms and stable boys and people that owned horses to beg them to understand that horses can feel what we can. They can feel love and loss and heartbreak and joy. And she really revolutionized animal empathy for, for, for her time and those messages have, have really permeated even our modern day society. And so to honor why she wrote the novel, I start, I stumbled across what wild horses were going through in the American West and the, the helicopter roundups and the tearing apart of families and the mass holding. And I thought, wow, that is exactly for, for our modernization, a very respectful parallel to why NSC will wrote the book to the horses of her time. We could give a voice yeah. to the, the horses of today. So it became very important to, to me to actually capture real wild mustangs. So my husband and I actually raised a little bit of independent financing to, to start a documentary, which we're hoping to continue later this year, where we, right before we filmed Black Beauty in South Africa, we went out for two weeks and we filmed in Utah, Wyoming, and Nevada. And we filmed the beautiful wild herds in Anakee. And a lot of that footage is actually in the movie where it looks like little, little beauty as a, as a filly is turning yeah. and looking and seeing her family. That, so, the, so the little filly who is actually a cult in, was in South Africa. And then when she sees her wild family, much of that footage is actually the wild Anakee herd in Utah. And when I was cutting the movie, it was like a, it was like a gift to see how well that footage cut. Even even the grass was similar. It was unbelievable. And I spent you know I, as the editor of the movie with keys to the office and access to the footage. I was in the editing room seven days a week over Christmas. Over I mean just finding and sifting through hundreds of hours of footage to make all of that work. And so and the reason to 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 answer the question about South Africa. It was a, it, that was a business and budget decision because it's actually really expensive to shoot in the United States. It, we yeah. initially were going to shoot Black Beauty in, in Canada, but then the producers called me one day and said, what do you think about South Africa? Because it, the, the crews are some of the best in the world down there, and the, to, the topography and the landscapes are really similar to the Western U.S., and, and it was perfect. It was just perfect. Wow, wow, wow. Well... I can hardly wait to watch the movie this weekend. I'm pretty excited about that. <laughs> uh, hey, we want to take a real quick break. Uh, and I want to come back and visit a little bit about uh, your new organization that you've gotten started. And uh, talk a little bit about that. And then a little bit later, we'll talk about some other things that you have in the works that are pretty exciting as well. But right now, let's take a listen to a song by Mr. Gary Allegretto called Set a Pony. And we're going to come back and talk more with Ashley Avis in just a moment today 
on Saddle of America. inspired by your work on this film and the plight of the 
um, wild horses in the American West. Why don't you tell us? Um, I'm so excited to hear more about this foundation. Well, thank you so much. And, and likewise, it's really been lovely chatting with you guys and, and so much fun. So thank you very much for having me. So the, so the Wild Beauty Foundation, my, my husband and I are partners in all things, in, in life and love and business. And when we started embarking on Black Beauty at the very beginning of the process, with, even with the screenplay, we knew that with such, a, with such a beautiful film, if it was successful, we were going to be able to reach a, a different, wider audience than ever before for an issue like that. Because growing up riding horses, mostly in Florida, I didn't know that wild horses were being rounded up and I didn't know about the mass holding and, and all of these things that are happening. And I felt such a sense of guilt that I didn't know that as a horse lover and then realized, well, if I didn't know how many people don't know that that's happening. So we knew that we might have a platform with the film to reach more people, to create and help with a new spotlight. And so after the film was, well, it was, it, we actually weren't even done with the movie. We were editing the, the film and I was because of the world we're in I had I came home from Germany where I was editing the movie initially back to the states and I was cutting Black Beauty in my living room and we we knew we were <laughs> going to launch the nonprofit <laughs> we we thought we would do it by the end of last year which we did we actually launched Wild Beauty Foundation in September but in July I stumbled across this little this this little BLM branded mare in a kill pen. And, and I turned to Ed and I said, there's something about her. I really want to rescue her. And he said, and we, and we, we, we had lunch and we talked about it. And she was in Texas. We were in California. We were like, how, you know, how is this is going to work? But sometimes you feel guided or you feel a sense of destiny or a sense of knowing in your life. And, and I just felt that way about this, this little mare. And so after that day, we decided to save her as well as the 12 other horses that were in her lot and we rescued all 13. And so we kicked off our foundation before we were really ready. We dove in with both feet and Ed the next morning, it was so funny. I, I woke up before him and I was just waiting for it. And he wakes up and he looks at me and he goes, Ashley, what did we do? <laughs> it's going to be okay. I know that this was, we, we're, we've done this for a reason. And those 13 have turned into about 30 so far. And, so many of those stories pairing those horses that just needed a second chapter, a second chance with people and with some children. There are a couple of horses that were two in particular that were paired with little girls who, who have undergone either physical or emotional abuse where those little girls over the course of a few months with these rescue horses have absolutely transformed. And it's just so beautiful and fulfilling to see. So with the Wild Beauty Foundation, we're going to be doing these on-the-ground rescues and adoptions of horses in need. But the, a big component of what we wish to do is our educational programs for children and so and, and programs that, that are therapy programs as well. For example, we have a horse in California right now who has melanoma, and we're going to be introducing him to children who have cancer that are battling a similar thing. And, oh, wow. and then a few of the other – yeah, that's – and while, again, the state of our world, we can't do that in person now – we're about to announce a, a virtual event with some of the cast of Black Beauty who are going to be participating in that with kids. And then we have a flagship program we're excited to launch. Probably a pilot of it will be realistic by the fall of this year called Wild Horse Week. 
where we will partner with schools around the country to teach children over the course of a week just fun programs to learn about horses, to learn about the, the different jobs and, and, and opportunities you can have working with horses, and then about those, those important themes of just animal-human compassion and empathy. And so those are some of the core th things that we're starting to put together now in addition to the rescues. Well, that is so cool. That is so cool. Thank you. Well, it's interesting because it is such a stinking small world. Um, you know, as you were talking about the foundation and uh, and Wild Horse Week and and our good my good friend Paula Carr back in Tennessee uh, had sent me some information and and uh, a few weeks ago on your event. And what you're doing, Paula's and then amazing. you, <laughs> and then you mentioned that you've been talking to Paula, and it's like, wow, it's so small. But Paula, I don't know if you know this or not, Ashley, but she and her husband Randall, from their facility in Cross Plains, have adopted out over twenty thousand mustangs. Yes, over, we've. I've been chatting over. with with. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, over twenty thousand mm -hmm. mustangs. And and we're very honored uh, as Equestrian Legacy Radio to be able to partner with the Mustang Heritage Foundation and other uh, therapy programs to to try to give back. So, yeah, that invitation that I made a minute ago for you to come join us in Utah is is good. So we'd love to have you come down in September to join I us. I absolutely love that. I'd love that. Yeah. That would be a blast. Yeah. yeah. And and Paula, so, we've been ta I've been chatting with her the the wild horse wild ride documentary was just so fantastic and when i was writing black beauty i actually watched that three or four times and and it was it was so helpful to see just the what they've done with with their their program and just the incredible intelligence and the you know what what these horses will do if they're trained and and treated the right way so i think paul is doing amazing work well, she is, and and as you are, as you're embarking your you. organization, so that is great. Well, so you've got the movie that's come out. We're going to be watching that. I'm I'm trying to figure out how much popcorn we need to get for this weekend. Um, <laughs> and and with your organization, what else have you got in the works? Something about Briar. I do. Yes, we last about a year and a half ago, right before we left for Black for Black Beauty, with Imagine Entertainment, we pitched a television series. It's a family series inspired by the Briar Horse brand, which I grew up like so many other kids grew up with. You know, a hundred of them, and uh, and it's kind of a magical world. There hasn't been a lot of information released about it yet, but I have written the first two episodes, and it's a very elevated mag magical world with children and horses and it's it's just a, a beautiful space to live in as both a writer and a director and like black beauty the series has great messages for children and family and horses and our environment so i'm really really excited to embark on that next no well, we're looking forward to being able to see something like in the not too distant future so you're a busy girl busy young lady <laughs> Thank you. I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, you have been a lot of fun. We and I both have enjoyed having you on the show and visiting with you today. And, um, and 
uh, how can we get involved with with uh, your organization? Do you have a well, website? Thank you so much. And I, we do, yes. It's wildbeautyfoundation.org. And we also are on the usual social media channels on Instagram at Wild Beauty Spirit and then on Facebook, the Wild Beauty Foundation. So you can follow us on any of those platforms. And we'll have some, we have some really exciting announcements coming in the next couple of weeks with a wonderful brand sponsor that we'll be announcing soon, this first program with kids that have cancer that are meeting a very special horse named Ghost. And I just wanted to say thank you to one of our advisory board members, Elizabeth McCall, who I know you know very well, who uh, yes. set this up for us. So a big thank yeah. you to her and to you guys for having me. Well, we've had, enjoyed having you with us, and uh, you have an open invitation to come back and kind of update I would us love what's that. going on. You've been I would absolutely love that. great. Absolutely great. Thank you well, so thank you much. so much. And we're going to take a quick break, listen to a song from Miss Lily Robert called Cowgirl Jazz. We've been talking with Ashley Avis today on Saddle Up America. Thanks a lot, Ashley. Thank you so much, guys. Have a good day. Sky. Breeze blowing softly as a lullaby Horse in a saddle, I love all that cowgirl Campfire glowing, the sweet smell of sage Coyote howling, the harmonica plays Dancing cactus shadows, I love all that cowgirl jazz. I need cool water, don't fence me in, I want to roll with the tumbling tumbleweeds. I love the sons of the sons of the pioneers. Prairie dogs in my park Harmony Some can 
Lee Roberts. It's Cowgirl Jazz. Bobby Bell, what a stinking fun show today. Oh, that was so great. And, you know, it was really fun listening to RJ talk about all the different things he did to, you know, make money. And then Ashley was sharing all the things that she did um, when she was kind of getting herself started, you know, to make to make money. And I thought, you know, these two have a lot in common. <laughs> <laughs> well, if in the, if, you, if you're in the music business or the film business or the writing business, you got to do what you got to do to make a living while you're getting there, you know. But uh, R.J. R.J. was great. Loved his stories. We loved his music. And then Ashley was just a pleasure to visit with. And uh, yeah, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get uh, some bright popcorn or, or what's that what's that funny looking guy's name that does the popcorn? Orville Redenbacher. Orville Redenbacher. That's right. There That's right. We'll get there some Orville Redenbacher and watch some movies this weekend. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. So we look forward to our guest next week on the Campfire Cafe. And um, I think, who is that? We have Carolyn Sills and Gerard Egan of the Carolyn Sills Combo. Is All right. Thing. Can you believe that's the last Thursday in February? No, I can't. February this year is, is like on. <laughs> wow, this this year is just flying by. But uh, Carolyn is always a lot of fun. Time to have Gerard with us. And uh, scheduled today was uh, Sean Knudsen uh, from Texas uh, to talk about some of the things he's doing on. And he was going to be our guest on South America. Ash was certainly a great fill-in for him. But uh, he's a Texas cowboy and uh, a ranch and rodeo guy and TV host. So we may try to get we may try to get him next week. But he's one of those Texas guys that just got snowed out and frozen out. So maybe we'll have him join us on South America next week. Uh, I want to mention. And I mentioned it briefly to Ashley, but uh, we have things are really kicking up for Rendezvous 2021. And uh, we have two events taking place, one in Tennessee in June at the Circle E Guest Ranch, and another one in Utah at uh, Bryce Valley Ranch and Horse Park. And uh, it's going to be a great event. It's for uh, veterans with PTSD and for the wild mustangs and so visit our website at equestrianlegacy.net to find out more about Rondo 2021 and uh, we'd love to have you join us for that we've got folks I think last year in Tennessee we had over 18 states that were represented and that was in the middle of a pandemic and having to reschedule so we're looking for some big big numbers this year but uh, join us. It's a lot of fun. What have you got going on? Well, you have a couple of days left to enter our Baking with Love cookie contest, and it's very simple to do. You can find all the information at the outwestshop.com website. Just hit blog on the toolbar, and you'll need to kind of scroll down a bit, but then you'll um, see it. There's a great little video that explains how easy it is to enter, and you get to see all the prizes. 
And we've just got a couple more Ds. The uh, deadline to enter is uh, February 20th. All right. So be sure and check that out and get entered in that. And um, it's been a show today. We've really had some great guests in January and February. And I will tell you now, March has lined up to be a phenomenal month as well. So uh, a lot of people to look forward to on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network coming the next few months. And we we'll remind you that you can always go back. We've got over 600 shows you can listen to in our archive podcast at equestrianlegacy.net. So, Bobby, the other day I had uh, a good friend, Ms. Vernell Hackett, who is a public relations person in Nashville. Uh, sent me some music and a video, and uh, I had not been familiar with Jesse and Noah Bellamy. I'm familiar with the Bellamy brothers, but I was not familiar with Jesse and Noah, and their dad is David. And so we're going to close out the show with a great song that they've done called The Vision, and uh, we'll see you next week on the radio. Any kind of closing thoughts before we go? A quick one. Today is National Drink Wine Day, and I found oh, this quote. No. Coffee, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Coffee keeps me going until it's time for wine. <laughs> could do that. I could do that. That's a good thought. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Miss Bob. Bell, as always, and uh, thank you to our worldwide audience for joining us. And Thursday at noon Central Standard Time for the Campfire Cafe, followed by Saddle Up America. And again, this is a song by JC and Bellamy, a song called The Vision. Thanks for listening.
But Lester Brown, the cowboy, he was blown away. They tell me it's a legend, something no one's ever seen. But your grandma, the widow, witnessed everything. Just as sure I saw it in my dreams as I slept. That twist that hit the foothills and brought an end to left. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.